1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Uh, just a bit of context here. Uh, he closed chapter 1, uh, introducing uh, himself and the necessity of the letter and the work for Timothy. But he closes kind of with this word. He's like, Timothy, wage the good warfare. So we closed last week by saying, Timothy, you're planted a church and whenever a church is planted, and whenever the gospel is presented, it is, in some sense, an act of war. When we gather as a people, we are saying that we are declaring that Jesus Christ is King of Kings. So over the history of Christianity, when you run into persecution, often that's what it is. I won't say Caesar is King. I won't say Nebuchadnezzar is King and Lord. Jesus is king. And so uh, the acting of worship is saying we have, we have set Christ aside. We worship Almighty God above everything else. He has first place. And so Paul encourages Timothy, wage the good warfare. Now last week we looked at him uh, calling out false teachers and naming names. And I think this week we get to see what we do with those names that we've named. And... Um, it is not that we take those names and we put them on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. It is we take those names and we bring them before the Father. There's a sense that his writing here is in the church, right? It's in the, in the form of church discipline. He's going to talk about church government and officers and who reigns and how they have authority and all of that. But it's interesting that this text, he says, first, foremost, primary. Timothy, when you gather... And so he's giving us, in a sense, this structure for worship. So we'll pick up here, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It's the Word of God. Please stand if you are able. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this... I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Hey, Buck, will you close those doors back there? Thank you. <laughs> if I can hear him, I'm sure you can hear him. Uh, so the title of the sermon is Presbyterian Prayers. And um, Presbyterian Prayers, the term, I first heard that term here in Grove in reference uh, to a prayer that was going to happen before a meal. And uh, we were invited to someone's house and we're, we're getting ready to eat. And uh, as is common, the pastor gets asked to pray. And um, so asked to pray and then one of the children said, Oh no, is it going to be a Presbyterian prayer? <laughs> I never knew what that meant. I said, what does that mean? Oh, they're long. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I understood what that meant because when my mom prayed, we weren't afraid of the food getting cold. We were afraid of the chicken going off. 
I mean, it was like, Mom, can you start? And she prayed alphabetically through all the missionaries in Africa and Asia. And I'm like, Mom, we'll, 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 we'll come back, you know, uh, a half an hour into it. You know, and if you want to know what a Presbyterian prayer is, I hate to call her out, but Tammy Kuyper. Tammy Kuyper can load up a Presbyterian prayer better than just about all of us, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. But if you ask her to pray, don't be, don't be ready to, you know, take off. Presbyterian prayer. So even as the meditation said, uh, we seem to go through it so fast in our worship. Get, get through it, get through it. Uh, why? Because we're so, we have such a short attention span. Our mind starts going all over the place. I encourage people when they pray, uh, if, if it's possible, to pray out loud. I like to pray out loud when I'm by myself in the room. They might think the guy is crazy, but it helps me, just helps me uh, keep my focus and keep my mind. Presbyterian prayer. So it's interesting. He starts with this, wage the good warfare, and then as he goes into this chapter 2 concerning corporate worship, public worship, missions prayer, he says, first of all, prayer. And um, I, I think it's sorely lacking I think it's sorely lacking in, especially in the West, in our churches. Um, and I think it's sorely lacking in our practice. And so we're going to look at that this morning. The sermon and sentence says that since Jesus, since Christ Jesus is the only mediator between God and men, Christians must grasp the necessity, primacy, and value of corporate prayers. You may know this, but several years ago I did an illegal wedding. I've used this as an illustration a couple times. I did an illegal wedding in Oklahoma. I was being nice to some people. I did their wedding. I said, hey, I'll take, you're, you're flying out. I'll take your marriage license to the courthouse. So I show up at the courthouse on Monday, and uh, I, I, I tell the lady, I'm not, this is the first one I've done in Oklahoma. I'm not sure where I signed, and there's all these dashes and whereases and all this. I said, I'm not sure how to fill it in. Can you help me fill it in? She said, sure. So she's helping me fill it in. And she goes, now, this is where you put the number that you received when you registered with the court. And I said, I, I didn't register with the court. I didn't know I needed to. She goes, well, then you can't do weddings. I said, but I did. She goes, but you can't. But I did. But you can't. You get the idea. Then she says, hold on. I'm going to go get the district attorney. Now, I, I've not been in much trouble with the law. I've got a few tickets here and there. I've seen a judge before because I drove too fast lots of times. Um, but when you hear the word district attorney, right, you're thinking of every crime show you've ever seen. You know, this is going to make his name. He'll be mayor after he prosecutes this preacher, right? You think that. So what do I do? Do I call Tammy? Heck no. Tammy doesn't need to worry about this. She ain't going to be able to help. I call Clayton, right? Right? I call the, the, the one lawyer we got in our church, Clayton. Um, you may have to bail me out. Clayton, I think I've done something illegal, right? I call somebody who has some sense of what's going on, maybe some control, maybe knows the judge, right? And, and can, can kind of talk me off the ledge, right? And so for uh, Paul telling Timothy, hey, when you gather... How do you celebrate, and how do you take the greatest advantage, Paul? How do you take the greatest advantage, Timothy? How do you teach your church the greatest advantage we have is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty? Christ Jesus is there. In every struggle, in every need, 
He's the one. He, 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 he knows the Father. Oh, He gave Himself for me. And you're joined to Him through faith. What greater act of worship can we do and say, God the Father, you are everything. You've given a son, your Son, and so through Him, we bring everything to you. I'm going to just tell you, I'm so guilty of not doing this. I complain about stuff. I, I come across as haughty and proud because I'm better at doing this or I'm better at doing that or I don't struggle with this or I don't struggle with that. I treat it so many times as it's us versus them. I wish they'd get their stuff together and, and be more like me and more like Tammy. And, and, I, and I fail to grasp. What am I supposed to be doing? Rather than complaining, I'm supposed to be bringing all of this before the Father. You know why I'm supposed to bring it before the Father? Because they can't. Right? It's like you're in a crowded room and there's some trouble going on and, and nobody knows the, 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 the way to fix it and then all of a sudden you remember you know the answer. And, and Christians, that's really us. We're, we're left in a world. The wheat and the tares are sown together but it's for our good that they grow together. Right? We, we're left there because God says, you're my priests in the world. You're this kingdom of priests. You can call upon me. They can't. They have no standing with me. And when we don't mediate, when we don't go to the Lord in prayer, when we don't bring these people up in prayer, what we are saying is, once you're like me, then you'll have favor and you can go and talk to God. Get yourself straight and then go and bring it before the Father. So he is saying, hey, uh, we've, we've got the only mediator. And once you grasp that, prayer is necessary. It's primary. He said it's the first of all. So I want to look at this, um, break down these verses in three sections. If then prayer is our necessity, if it's primary, if we value it, uh, the first thing he says is our prayers then concern all people. Verses 1 and 2, primacy of prayer. First of all, he says, I urge you. And again, those are strong words. That is Paul instructing as he did. Uh, Go take that mountain. I urge you, Timothy, first of all, to pray for all people. He says that four times in the text. In verse 1, all people. Verse 4, all people to be saved. Verse 6, Jesus, a ransom for all men. Verse 7, to the Gentiles, which is all nations concern for all people. Our prayer should have a concern for all people. The person you dislike the most in your office should be on your prayer list and not just so they find another job. Can you believe that as a Christian that you might be placed in a position where somebody you loathe God is calling you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. He's put you in there to remind you of how much He has saved you from and how much He condescends to have relationship with us. Prayers for all types of people. And so there's all types of prayers too. There's supplications, He says. There's prayers which probably are these general conversations and there's thanksgiving. Supplications, we ask for stuff. Right? We are to ask our God for stuff. You know why we ask Him for stuff? Because He is gracious and he is powerful and he controls everything. 
He controls everything. And He knows everything. And so we make our supplications. We make our asks to Him. Prayers. He may be, uh, and, and lots of people have different ideas of what, what these classifications are. There seems to be some sense of these different types of prayers, um, but a lot of disagreement. I, I would say supplications, we really know there's not much disagreement there. Praying and asking God, general terms. Prayers, prayers may be the written prayers. Uh, prayers from the Psalms set apart. We, 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 we pray these uh, pre-written prayers. It's quite possible, and, and, and I kind of tend to think that, that the church had early sets of prayers and creeds um, and uh, thanksgiving. God is to be thanked. All people, everyone without exception needs prayer because everyone without exception needs the mediatorial work of Christ Jesus. Now, we may not like our current president. We may not like the previous one. We may not like any of our presidents or any of our elected officials or whoever's on the school board. Or, right? It, but we don't have Nero as our emperor. Right? They had Nero back here. You know what Nero did? I probably said this before. But when Nero would, would throw parties and he needed uh, lights and torches, he would burn Christians at his parties. Pray for your leaders, Timothy. And that includes Nero, the one who throws families to wild beasts. Pray for him. Jeremiah is told really almost the same thing in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, pray for the peace of Babylon. What do you mean Babylon? The, the, the people who destroyed us and carried us away? Yes, Jeremiah. Pray for them. All types of people and all types of prayer. You know why we have to pray for all types of people? Because there's only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Our world has nowhere else to go. It can't fix itself politically. It can't fix itself scientifically. It can't fix itself therapeutically. The world needs the one mediator between God and man. And so our prayers concern all people. Secondly, our prayers confirm God's desires. In verses 2, 3, and 4, we see that it says, It is God who desires. It is something He wants. And in verse 2, uh, prayers are made that or in order that. The God who desires in verses 4. It relates to the purposes of our prayers. Our God delights in our prayers to Him. And our prayers confirm God's desires. And in confirming God's desires, we are asking Him in, in, a, in, a, in a very real way to make God's desires our desires. All right, so when it says in the confession this morning, submitting to God's law, uh, we, we pray that God would help us submit to His law. Not, not submitting as an older brother pinning down a younger brother, but submitting in this voluntary uh, 
towards the Lord saying, what you know is best, what you say is right, what you direct and what you forbid is right. I am giving myself over to that. So what does he say that's pleasing in his sight, these prayers, these intercessions, the peace of humanity can only be brought about by God? Godliness? Right? God's desire is for us to be godly? That's used 15 times in the New Testament, godliness. 13 times it's used in the pastoral epistles. 13 times it's Paul instructing the preachers, the pastors, the leaders. Pray for godliness. <laughs> that all people would be saved. He says, uh, we pray for God's desire that all people to be saved. Again, lots of, lots of discussion on what that means. Does God desire mean all without exception? Or all types of people? Or all those that God has elected to be His? Uh, it is almost like an antinomy that we have, to, we have to deal with that. We don't take this text and say, well, this can't undermine God's election or His sovereign purposes. Is it some way that God is, uh, in, in, in human language, saying to us that, that, that God's going to save all without exception, and so it is never for us to say, or the Jews to say, this is our religion, this is our God, you go find your own God. No, um, God's desire is for people to be saved, and He's glorified in the saving of people. We pray because it is God through the Spirit that changes our inward desires our yearnings, our actions. It is God through the Spirit that confirms the truth of His gospel. We pray because it is God who by the power of His Word created out of nothing everything. Because God has control of everything. Because God delights in our prayers. We pray because there is only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. And so, lastly, in verses 5 and 6, our prayers are to be Christocentric. It means Christ is at the center. So it's interesting, his language goes from all men, all people, all nations, to one God, one mediator, one man. And, and so, that, that again, think about what he's saying. Across the world, there are all types of false gods, false religions, false mediators. There's all types of false theology. Uh, Timothy, when you pray... You pray through the one mediator to the one God, through the one man. One God. Unique. In pluralistic societies, in polytheistic societies, there is one God. Now, there's lots of current theological, religious talk out there and you'll see, I don't know if you've ever seen the bumper sticker, it's like, my religion is too big for one God. Well, they don't know God if they think anything they have is too big for Him. They have no idea. And, and there is that sense, you, you, maybe it's not that blatant, but you'll, you'll hear about people saying, well, you know, the Hindu, through, through their practice of their religion, uh, they're going to please the God that they may not even know His name. Well, the, 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 the Muslim is going to, you know, whatever they've done for Allah is done for God. That's just not true. Nowhere in the Bible is that promoted. Timothy, you must pray because 
People are offering sacrifices to demons. They're on these paths that they think are right. They're trying their best, and they're on the wrong path to the wrong God in the wrong way. Timothy, you must pray because uh, there is one God. There is only one mediator. There is no other way to God except through this mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting the way he puts that? The man, Christ Jesus. Have you thought about that? Christian, when you pray, church, when we pray, we're not praying to a being that doesn't understand. We're not paying, praying to someone who doesn't know the temptations that I've faced. He has no understanding of what I've gone through, what happened to me, how I was victimized, how I can't, how I fight certain sins and it just, it just has control of me and the only rest I ever feel is when I give in. He doesn't understand that. Oh, that's just not true. Scriptures say he was tempted in every way. And I'll tell you, he was tempted much harder than any of us because he never gave in. And we tend to think, oh, Satan's after me. Satan's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. I mean, there's evil forces for sure that are after you. But you're not really that important to him. That that one being is going after you. But that one being, full of poison, went after our Savior. With all he ever had. And that Savior is our mediator. When you cry out to Him, you cry out to the man. The man who withstood temptation. The man who withstood everything you faced and even more. And you know who else can't go to Him? Those who don't know our Savior. We've got to quit thinking and expecting people who don't know our Savior to somehow act or fix what they can't fix on their own. Everything in there is broken. You know, so in our catechism, we said by the sin of one man, all humanity fell. We use that term, and I hope it doesn't throw you when we talk about fallenness, but it is just a great way of explaining human beings. Fallen. We are not what we should be. We are not what we were made to be. We are fallen. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you always know that. Even if you're not a Christian, you always know that. There's always that sense that, that there's something about me that I just don't like. And so I, I don't like it. So I try to hide it as best I can. I try to be around people that don't know it or people that have the same fallenness in me. And we gather together and we enjoy each other because we can't fix it. Paul says to Timothy, as the church, you're the one, right? The building's going down in flames, and you're the one who has the fireman's cell phone number. You're the one. You don't look around and ask everybody else to fix it. You don't point out that they can't fix it. They're terrible. They're terrible. God says, I, I, I have given you the priesthood. Cry out to me for all people. Now he closes this, verses 6 and 7, the ransom, the, 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 the Christ. Jesus is the Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And so we have another one of those phrases, those key phrases. This is the testimony. This is the truth. This is a trustworthy saying. 
Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. So what does that mean for us as believers? It means whatever anyone or yourself has on you, whatever keeps you from flourishing as a believer has been paid for by Christ. And he says, now this is, this is what I've been given. This is, I was appointed. I was, I was given really three jobs to do because this is true. He says, I was called to be a preacher. I was appointed to be a preacher. And I love that he breaks these three out because they're three different things, right? Uh, Scotty likes to call me preacher. So that, that's how it is. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm the preacher. So he just texts me, hey, preacher. And I always say, hey, salesman, um, the preacher. You know, there's something different between preaching and teaching. And I, and I think you get it. See, I, when I preach, I want you to leave this place not just knowing something new. Not, hey, I never thought of it that way before. You know, thanks. Um, now I know all the names of the kings. Great. How's that going to keep you from looking at pornography this afternoon? I think about your hearts and your affections and your souls. And when we preach, we ask the power of the Holy Spirit to take his word that is living and active and to cut it into your hearts so that two things will happen every time we preach. One, sin will be shown as sinful, as worthless, as bondage, as darkness. You'll be, in, you'll, be, you'll be encouraged as if you were going to the most wonderful specialist in the world. Take everything that is wrong with me, Holy Spirit. Find it. Take it out. But secondly, when we come to the table, that you'll be overjoyed and overwhelmed at the value of your Savior. That's preaching. Not just, not just learning something, but it is desiring a change. Now, sometimes teaching does that. You learn something. And so he says, I'm a preacher. I'm, I'm sent to challenge their affections, to point out their idolatry, to, to, to hopefully change their direction. I'm a teacher. I, I want them to know the facts. And so we have classes. like We have Sunday school class. Uh, when your kids come to Sunday school, it's so that they learn things. They learn truths about who God is, what they can expect from God. We confessed his law this morning. I don't think we ever spent enough time in that. I was thinking about that earlier this week. When I go fishing on salt water, I always get a guide. You know why I always get a guide? Because there's 17 million different laws when you're fishing in the salt water. Like you catch a fish, like, yes, well, no, it's October the 3rd, and you can't keep those fish until October the 7th. Oh, okay, so then you catch one, and, and it's October the 7th. Wait, you can't keep it because it's too big. I've been fishing in places where you can't keep a fish if it's too big or too small. There's a slot. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But if I don't want to get the boat impounded, if I don't want to go to jail, I learned the law. We're taught God's law that we may not sin against him. We're taught his law that we may know what he loves. And Paul says, these things are true. Oh, Christian, it is true. There is only one God. Timothy, you're in a place, polytheism is everywhere, and people are going to look at you like you're crazy when you say there's only one God. And there's only one mediator. There's only one way to hear and be appeased and have a standing before that God. And it's the man, Christ Jesus. And then he says, I also was appointed 
an apostle. And I won't spend much time on this. We've talked about this before. Paul was appointed as an apostle. It was very important to him that he was one of the twelve. It was very important to him and to the church that the church knew he was given certain authority. Now, it's interesting. As we finish off 1 Timothy, we'll see that they're given, um, here's what you need if you're going to be an elder. Here's what you're going to need. Uh, this, is who, this is who is right and appropriate to be a deacon. Nowhere in the New Testament do you have apostles appointing other apostles. It doesn't say, Timothy, stay here until you appoint some other apostles and then go over here. No. He was given that particular peculiar call. That's why I'm here. Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom. We have this mediator. Go to him. So church, let's not be known as those who complain. Let's be known as those who really and truly believe that our Lord and Savior, the man, Christ Jesus, fully man, fully God, he sits at the Father's hand and he says, I, what else could I do to show my love for you? I, I gave my life for you. Come to me with everything things that are wrong, the things that are broken, the things that are confusing in yourself and in the world. Come to me. Bring those to me. For I delight in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to forgive us. I rarely meet a Christian that says, I, I pray way too much. And I don't know, Lord, if it is just the sense that you're not listening or the sense um, that, that it's not big enough for you or if it's some cop-out. But, Father, we go to you far too little. We change our behavior. We bring husbands and wives that are here together. Father, will you bring them before your throne in prayer? Those who have leadership in their homes over their children. You confirm in them that one of the greatest things you can do with another brother or sister is to take them by the hand or the arm before you and pray. And when we're off giving advice to people, how to fix this, how to do that, we're giving books about this, about that, would our first thought be, wait, I have an advocate in heaven. Wait, I have a Savior who gave himself for me and he begs me to bring before him all that is wrong and broken. Father, we're face to face with the desires and our desires, they overwhelm us at times and we think we want nothing to do with you. Will we bring that before you too? Will we confess the fact that we'd love to trust in you for salvation, but the rest of the lives we would really like to have just freedom to do as we want, as we please. And we'd be encouraged to bring that also to you, Father. And now, Father, we do ask that you would set apart these elements that as we eat this bread that you would mysteriously confirm in us that Christ's body was broken on our behalf that he has suffered fully and completely for all of our sins that his blood was shed and it is sufficient to cleanse us and that as we take and eat that we celebrate we are united to him one of the greatest things he can do 
is lay our case before you. May we accept this and believe it and be changed evermore into godliness, known as a godly people. Oh, we ask you, Lord, to do this. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it apart from you, Holy Spirit. Oh, please, make it our desire that that is our desire. We ask in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.